I don't have to whisper so much today. So I just came back from Columbia, South America, where it's extremely hot. And the doctor that attended me there said, uh, make sure you don't go into extremes of weather. So that I come to Detroit. I, I just uh, thought, are you crazy? Uh, it has dropped 60 degrees at least, but there's no way that I can't go from extreme to extreme. I, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate the Meredith family and how much they mean to me. Over 20 years now of relationship with them. He calls me, actually, it's not just spiritual dad. I'm his real dad. I don't know if you're aware of that. There's a reason why he's extremely handsome. <laughs> that he got it from me. I'm, I'm positive. But um, I, I tell you, you, you have a great pastor here. He loves you. He loves you. There's so much, there's so much love in this church. And I love the diversity. I, I, I don't think God likes all one color, do you? He's a diverse God. And uh, I love the beauty of the diversity of this church. You're pretty rare. You understand that, right? That you would appreciate and value diversity and appreciate and love one another. You look sort of like heaven. And it's a good thing because you're going to be there a long time. I don't know how people think that they can get along there if they can't get along here. I, that's, that is kind of a question mark. So anyway, thank you for your prayers. I was so grateful. Just a couple months ago, I lost my wife of 59 years. Uh, still not over it. And I'll never be over it. But I'm so blessed that God gave me nearly 59 years of marriage. We cannot remember. Somebody, I was speaking in Chile, and I made this statement, and a guy from the audience interrupted me and said, I don't believe you. I said, well, just ask my kids. I don't remember one fight that we've had in 59 years. I didn't say disagreement. I didn't, I didn't say disagreement because you couldn't have two personalities believe the in, in marriage not have disagreement because one has a, an opinion, the other one has an opinion. But I'm talking about we never raised our voices to each other. Our kids never heard us yell at each other. Our kids never heard us fight. Because why would I fight the person that I love the most? Why would I fight the one that I value the most? Why would I in any way dishonor her? So we never willingly... So I, I think still to this day, her service is online. Over 2 million people have watched a service. We called it a celebration, not a funeral. Uh, I, I don't believe in funerals. I know we have them, but it's really a celebration. If a person knows Jesus, it's a coronation time. They're receiving their crown a lot of times whenever I preach a funeral, I remind people, the only alive person in this room is the one you think is dead. The rest of you are on your way. The rest of you are on your way to the box. She's in the presence of Jesus, probably setting a table for the banquet that we call the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm, uh, I was so blessed, nearly 59 years of marriage. Uh, our two children, our grandchildren, six grandchildren, and our 12 great-grandchildren. 
And uh, I've asked the Lord for 10 years of ministry. I go from here, I preach twice in Texas. My home is in Dallas. Then after that, I go to uh, Amsterdam, Holland. After that, I'm in Nigeria. After Nigeria, let's see, I'm in uh, where? Cambodia and Chile, opposite ends of the globe. After that, I'm in Brazil for one month. Uh, and then Pakistan and um, everywhere, Portugal. And then I'm in Israel the entire month of October. I'm a tour guide too. So I'll be in Israel for the month of October. So I solicit your prayer. Uh, I'm going to preach till the Lord uh, calls me home or until he arrives. By the way, for those that want to go to Israel, uh, you can either go now and it will cost you or you can go later for free. When the Lord Jesus returns and you're standing on the Mount of Olives with him, it's a free trip. It really pays to serve the Lord, doesn't it? How many know it pays to serve the Lord? The devil pays also, but the wages are really bad. The wages of sin are really bad. Death. But for those that love Jesus as eternal, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I've never preached this message, so I'll, well, you can tell me if you like it or not. <clears throat> I'm going to read some scripture out of you. Paul had a habit, the Apostle Paul had a habit of writing some of the longest sentences known in any language. One of them is in Ephesians. One of them is in Philippians. This one I'm going to read is in Ephesians chapter number one. I'm reading from the ESV version, the English Standard Version. I'm breaking into the middle of a sentence because it's so long. So I'm going to take the and out. Um... Uh, and add a few words to give it clarity. So chapter 1 of Ephesians. That you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now we're going to have Easter in a few days. I call it Resurrection Sunday. Because I don't want to honor the goddess of fertility. Ishtar. <laughs> That's what Easter's named after. This is Resurrection Sunday. It's coming up in a few weeks. I'll be in Holland. <clears throat> that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now notice what's happening here. It's more than resurrection. When he seated his, at his right hand, notice seated, meaning the work is done. He's finished. It's complete. Teleos. Whenever Jesus sat down, I means it's all over, nothing more to do. So the Father is seated, the Son seated, and you're supposed to be seated with heavenly places. A lot of us are like chickens with our heads cut off, you know, running around. God says, come on, sit down, Larry. I said, well, i got to work for you. And he said, work from a prone position, sit down. So at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above, everybody said far. Far above, say it again, far not just above, but far above, all rule and authority and power and dominion. That means every created power, both good and bad, he's above it. So I have a question for you. If you are the body of Christ, and you are, how many have been born again? You are the body of Christ. You were born into his body. If you're born again, that means that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, chapter 2 will tell you. 
You're seated with Christ in heavenly places, which means far above every other demonic power or spirit in the universe. Not just above, far above. Whenever God exalted him, it was a big exaltation, way above. So the devil is not over you. He is below you. I think I'm going to repeat that. I said the devil is not above you. He's below you. So don't give him any credit. He's above every name that is named, every rule, every authority, every power, every dominion, every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. Now, if you're the body of Christ and he's the head, if you are his body, then the feet are attached to the body, right? So the devil is under your feet. Romans 16.20 says, Satan will be crushed under your feet. Now, the devil gets so much credit that he doesn't deserve. I heard a fictitious story about the devil sitting on the steps of a church one time, and he was crying, and somebody said, what are you crying for? He said, because of all the things that the Christians accused me of doing that I never had a chance to do. Well, the devil's been after me all day. Oh, come on. Eight billion people in this world. Are you so special that the devil, who's only one person, would take time out of his busy schedule to give you a flat tire? Eight billion people on the globe. He is only one person. He is a created being. He is not creator. He cannot create anything. You serve the creator. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons. Do you understand that everything that is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was created, including the devil? Are you aware that he was not created evil? He was created good till he decided to rebel. Because every created being has been given a free will. Is that right? How many know that there was a demonized man? They called him Legion. Legion is a... Roman number of 6,000 soldiers. His name was Legion, so it means he had 6,000 demons. <clears throat> well, the Bible is very clear that whenever the demons talked to Jesus, they said, we know who you are. And he said, shut up. <clears throat> they said, we know who you are, the Son of the Most High God. We don't want to go into the desert, so you, can you put us in 2,000 pigs? So... A man with 6,000 demons, when it was time for him to be delivered, 6,000 demons couldn't stop him from getting delivered. When it's your decision to get delivered, all hell cannot stop you. The devil's not big enough. I got on a plane one time. I was headed for India. It was from Cleveland Hopkins Airport, and I got on the plane. As soon as I sat down there, I sat next to the window and I heard the voice of one whom I knew before, the accuser of the brethren. I can tell who he is. Number one, it's always negative. Number one, number two, it's always full of fear. Number three, it's always accusatory, condemning me. Because God never condemns you. If you hear a voice saying things that are going to tell you how rotten you are, that is not God. God never condemns, Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen? No condemnation. I heard the voice of the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12, 10, and he said, 
This plane has a bomb on it, and it is going down because it was an Air India plane and reminding me that it was a Canadian Air India plane that had uh, was going from Canada to Delhi, New Delhi, India, that had a terrorist bomb, and everybody was killed. So I heard the voice say, this plane has a bomb on it. Then I heard another voice that I recognized as the Holy Spirit, and it said, tell the devil he doesn't have the keys. According to Revelation chapter 1, verse number 17, when Jesus came out of the grave, he said, oh, one more thing, Satan, give me the keys. How many know that Jesus has the keys of death and hell? How many have been tormented in your past that you were going to die young? Anybody had that torment? How many know that that came not from the Holy Spirit? And you can tell the devil, you have no idea when I'm dying because you don't have the keys. You cannot use that threat on me. So I reminded the devil that if it was God's time for me to die, nothing could keep the plane up. And if it is not my time to die, Psalm 139.16, nothing can bring this plane down. Jesus said, you are in the palm of my hands, in the palm of my Father's hands, John 10. Nobody can take you out of my hand. Nobody can take you out of my hand. Nobody. Say nobody. The devil's not big enough. So why give him credit when he's not in charge of your life? You were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed. You were a slave to Satan. <clears throat> Three things happened whenever Jesus bought you. He forgave you. He delivered you. And he removed you from the block of slavery. And he said, now you're a child of God. So you have a last name. Your surname is God. <laughs> Think about that for a little bit. Larry God, Keenan God. If I'm a child of God, that's my surname, right? If I'm a child of my dad, Samuel Titus, my last name is Titus. If I'm a child of God, my last name is God. Now that will fly in the face of theologians' bonus saying, how arrogant. You will never be deity but you are a child of God. There's not room for more than three in the, in, the, in the divine Godhead, but you're a child of God. And an heir of Jesus, I mean an heir of God in the joint heir, which means you got double inheritance because of Jesus Christ giving you his as well as the Father. <clears throat> so I'm just going to point out something to you, and then I want to talk about the devil a little bit. I want to point out to you this fact that... Um, um, the devil is powerless against you. So I'm going to give you the scripture for that, just lest you think that this is something coming out of my head. Luke chapter number 10, uh, Jesus sends out the 70, or some translations say 72. I think it's probably 70 because it matches the elders of Israel in the book of Exodus where 70 elders were chosen. So Jesus chose the 12, sent them out, gave them power and authority to heal and to cast out demons. So that's in chapter number 10 of Matthew, and again in chapter number 3 of Mark and chapter 9 of Luke. So he gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. 
Uh, there's a new movie out. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called The Jesus Revolution. Anybody saw it? Let me see your hands if you've seen it. Raise your hand if you've seen The Jesus Revolution. If it's still in theaters, go see it. It will probably be coming back. The highest grossing Christian film probably in the history of the world. It is incredible. I've seen it three times. I cried three times. If I see it four times, I'll cry four times. As Because my wife and I were part of that move of God. There are two major moves of the Holy Spirit in the last century. One was called the charismatic move that started in 1960 in Van Nuys, California, when an Episcopal priest was invited to some of his members to his house who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. He went to their house and he too was baptized in the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so this Episcopalian church began, people began getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he was kicked out of this church. Father Dennis Bennett was sent to a dying church in Seattle, Washington called St. Luke's that uh, they, they were going to use him to close the church and get rid of him permanently out of the priesthood. As soon as he arrived, a woman was healed, totally blind, was healed, which had started closing the church. Thousands of people started coming. Uh, a few years later, it began, the charismatic move hit Duquesne University, and thousands of people started getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Catholics started getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember my wife and I going to Gonzaga University uh, in the early 70s, a meeting of Catholic nuns and priests, and they were more Pentecostal than any Pentecostals I'd seen. They were praising God. They were speaking in tongues. They were dancing all around Catholics. And I said to God, this can't be. They're Catholic. This can't be. And God reminded me he didn't ask my opinion. <laughs> and then in the mid-60s, something else happened, and that is at Ashbury, San Francisco, hippies, what we called hippies, started getting baptized, saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll see if you, if you go see Jesus' revolution, thousands and thousands and thousands of hippies were saved baptized in the ocean there in, in Los Angeles, near Costa Mesa, California, and Laguna Beach was Pirate's Cove in that area, Newport Beach. But simultaneously in the Northwest, and it was in Portland and Seattle and Vancouver, Washington, all the way down, San Francisco, all the way down to L.A., hippies, but the thousands were getting saved. Well, the same thing happened. Debbie and I were brand new in the ministry, had started a church in 1968 in Wenatchee, Washington, a little town of 19,000 people. In the second year of our ministry, when the Spirit began to move among the hippies, now a church about this, I don't know what this church would see. Do you know a couple hundred? Nearly exactly the same size as this church. Our first church seated around 200 people. I remember the red carpet runners down the aisles, not beneath the pews, but down the aisles and across the front. And I remember the hippies getting saved. They would show up. They were barefooted. A lot of times the guys didn't have shirts on. Uh, and the hippies, by the thousands, started getting saved. Now, this city only had 19,000 people. All the youth of the city emptied out into our church. So they would sit down all the way down the aisles on the floor, 
all through the church, all the old people were forced to the back. All the hippies would sit all across here. And I would stand in this little space right here because they were all over the place. And then we would open the windows so people could see in the outside because they couldn't get in the building. We didn't have TV monitors where you could put, you know, overflow rooms with TV monitors. Thousands and thousands. We would, we would baptize hundreds at a time. In my house, it was, I had a three-level house, like split level plus another floor. On the bottom level, kids were, high school kids were getting delivered from demons. All the drug kids were getting delivered from demons. On the first floor, they were getting born again. On the third, second floor, they were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just like keep moving up. <clears throat> it was a massive revival was taking place. These two revivals converging. Since that time, we have never experienced in America or the world major outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you've been watching carefully, Asbury Seminary, Wilmore, Kentucky, has had a major, major outpouring of the Holy Spirit, day and night, 24 hours a day for over 30 days. It has also hit several of the universities. It's hit Baylor University. It has hit seminaries, universities across America, day and night, youth. I believe in the last days there will be another major revival. And I'm quoting out of Habakkuk, uh, the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 14. And it says, The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah chapter number 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The entire earth is full of his glory. I believe before Jesus returns, we're going to see the most massive revival in the history of the world. For every church and every Christian who's hungry for it. Now what happens is, that most of it takes place outside the walls, like the New Testament. Now, it's, going, it's taking place right now everywhere. There will be a march in, there will be a march in Sao, Sao Paulo, Brazil, within a few weeks. Over 2 million Christians will be marching the streets of Sao Paulo, Brazil. It will happen in Rio. It will happen all throughout Brazil. It is now happening in Israel. The entire area uh, that is outside the Western Wall Thousands of believers are worshiping, praising God at the Western Mall. It is happening globally. It is happening in Argentina. It is happening in Nicaragua. It is happening globally. Massive, massive move of the Spirit of God. I believe it will happen among the youth being led by the youth. Because the Bible said in the last days, he will pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall have visions. Your old men shall have dreams. I believe it is youth because they're, number one, they're radical, and they don't care what people think. And they're crazy enough to believe that God does anything. That's before they grow up and begin to question whether or not he does. So they're crazy enough to believe for the impossible, and then God does it because he responds to faith. Now, what, all I'm telling you all of that to tell you this, every Revival is accompanied by people getting delivered from demons. The greatest sign in this church is whenever people start demonstrating demonic activity. Revival has arrived. Why do I say that? Is because every time Jesus went somewhere, the very first thing that happened was Satan was exposed. So the lowest guys on the satanic totem pole, the privates in the satanic army are demons. 
So Jesus sends out the disciples. When he sends them out, chapter 10 of uh, Matthew, 9 of Luke, 3 of Mark, when he sends them out, he always tells them to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Because as soon as that happens, you know the kingdom of God is changing from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. How do I know there's being a change? It's because demons are coming out of people. So everywhere Jesus went, demons came out of people. I walked into a restaurant in Washington and went at you, and every time I'd walk in, the owner's wife would start screaming, the owner said, uh, would you, Pastor, would you please not come to our restaurant anymore? I said, no, I'm going to keep coming back till she's delivered. I was speaking in Karlsruhe, Germany, and uh, there were several youth with the mission kids there, and they were saying how it was so cool, one of the soldiers that got saved, how when they gather in the prayer circle, he just, he gets, he just falls out in the spirit. He gets slain in the spirit. And while they're telling me, the Holy Spirit says, it's not me. It's not my spirit. So I said, invite me to your next prayer meeting. So they all met. All the soldiers and the youth with the mission youth, they were all standing in a circle, began to pray. And sure enough, this guy falls out. I just walk over and nonchalantly said, come out of him, Satan. And the guy goes, ah! Starts spewing at the mouth, starts throwing up demons. Totally and completely delivered. Their eyes were massive because they thought he was slain in the Holy Spirit. One of the signs, and if you don't want people to be delivered from demons, don't pray for revival. Because revival exposes Satan, and there's going to be deliverances. Now, there's another movie coming out, and it's called Come Out in the Name of Jesus. Showed only one time, and it was completely sold out across America, March, I think, 13th or 14th just a few days ago. Now it's coming up again in April. I've not seen the movie. I've seen trailers of the movie. Masses of crowds in America. And the crusade is led by a fundamentalist, Baptist, legalistic, doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, preacher from near from Nashville, Tennessee, preaching against all the gifts of the Spirit till the Holy Spirit fills him. And changes his doctrine. <laughs> so the same guy that doesn't believe in all this stuff is now in these massive crusades with thousands of people. And even in the theater, as the movie is shown, people are being delivered from demons. That's what makes me think Jesus is returning and revival is coming and people are getting delivered from every form of bondage, of infirmity, of disease, of demon spirits, of everything else. And how many know our nation needs to be delivered? When you got the Grammys having the most demonic activity I've ever seen in my life, how many know that God's not going to be outdone? We've got people now that are high up in witchcraft being set free and delivered. We've got warlords that are now preaching the gospel. <laughs> so if you happen to be afraid of demons, I've got good news for you. They are beneath your feet. 
they are below their feet. <laughs> so the disciples came back, the 70. Now I'm talking about the 70. So interestingly enough, in Luke 10, where it talks about the 70 being sent out, Jesus says, establish the kingdom of God and bring peace. Everywhere you go, bring peace into that household. If a leader, a person of peace is in the household, if the peace is not there, then you bring it back to yourself and leave. And they came back and rejoicing, saying, Jesus, even demons are subject to us in your name. Notice that it's his name, not yours. I've seen Christians trying to cast out demons by yelling and spitting and screaming at them. It's the name of Jesus that delivers people, not your screaming. And more spit does not do any good except get them wet. Just the name of Jesus. Just the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Power in the name of Jesus. Now, notice whenever they were casting out demons, Jesus said, while you were casting out demons, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Notice what happens. All we see are the little guys, but it goes all the way to the top. And Satan himself cannot resist. He cannot stop the name of Jesus from destroying his kingdom. Satan fell. I'm just bopping down here, just doing my thing, paralyzing Satan. And he gets nervous. I heard uh, Smith Wigglesworth tell a story that he was awakened one night to Satan, and he was standing, Satan was standing at the foot of the bed. Smith Wigglesworth, uh, an evangelist from the 19th century in England, awakens with the you no, know, just immediately, Satan's right there. He looks up at Satan and says, oh, it's you, and turns over and goes back to sleep. <laughs> Are you really, really aware that the name of Jesus is stronger than every power of the enemy? That you, as a believer, have an anointing to bind Satan himself and all of the intermediary demonic forces of hell. Lord Jesus, I want to do what you do. 1 John 3, 8 says he came to destroy the works of the devil. Not just have a good service. Not just have a good Sunday. Not have a good time with the believers. He came. Every, he said every place you walk. He said tread upon serpents and scorpions. That means evil activity. Everywhere you walk. Everywhere you walk. Everywhere you walk, in Jesus' name, I claim this for you. In Jesus' name, I claim this for you. In Jesus' name, I claim this for you. I'm going to give you two illustrations in closing. I just want to make you really, really aware that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The devil is under your feet. He is not over you. And any time he threatens you, say, well, that's a lie. I've got more power than you do because I have the authority in the name of Jesus, and he has all authority. One was, uh, I read this in a book several years ago, a uh, young college student, university student that eventually got his degrees, including his doctorate in psychology, psychology and psychiatry. But when he was a college student, uh, 
he went into his dorm one night, and they were having uh, in the in the center area, the congregating area that leads off to the rooms. He he there was a bunch of students playing with a Ouija board. If you don't know it, Ouija boards are not of God. They're very totally and completely satanic. Because you're conjuring, you're inviting the devil to take control. They are not innocent. So anyway, the students are there playing with the Ouija board, and the Ouija board is talking back to them. He just stands there, and under his breath says, I bind you in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Ouija board stopped talking. Well, the students decided they were going to expand it into the major student center and have another time with an Ouija board inviting a lot of the students from the campus to the main campus center, the student center. So he shows up. Now he doesn't, doesn't say a word. He's standing back there. They're gathered around the table playing with a Ouija board and the table begins to levit levitate. It starts rising off the floor. He looks under, no knees, no hands touching it. Starts moving up in the air. He stands there under his breath he says, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, Satan. That table crashed on the floor, and all of the legs broke off of it, and all of the students dispersed. Nobody knew that it's because there's a Christian standing there, didn't even say it out loud. How many know the name of Jesus is powerful? <laughs> the power of the name of Jesus. I praise God for the name of Jesus. Brother, you want to come play quietly in the background while I close? The reason why I ask you to come up and start playing is it encourages the people that I'm nearly finished. <laughs> in the same church, Wenatchee, Washington, that we pastored for 12 years, from 1968 to 1980, I got a call late one night, probably somewhere around the mid-70s. <clears throat> and in that call, a lady, and I remember it's a small town, 19,000 people. A lady says to me, would you come pray for my husband? He's full of the devil. Everything inside me, because it was 1 a.m. Sunday morning, I didn't feel led. I remember her husband vividly because he was a terror in the city. He stood about six foot three or four. Every part of his body rippled with muscles. I remember the report one time he went down by the Columbia River, went from door to door under the effects of the drugs and put his fist through the front door of all of the houses along the river. And how many police it took to subdue him. And this was the man she was talking about. So number one, one o'clock in the morning, I have to preach the next day. I'm not interested in getting up and praying for anybody, including my own family. I don't want to get up. Secondly, this guy is so demon-possessed. I've never seen a more demon-possessed man in my life. I got in my car and went over to pray. When I walked in the front door, he's sitting directly in front. He doesn't have a shirt on. His muscles are rippling. 
I sat myself down because he didn't invite me. His first words to me were these, I could kill you. You know, most of the time whenever you go to somebody's house, they say, would you like some water or something to drink? Would you like some coffee? Have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. I could kill you. I said, no, you can't. I said, the God in me is bigger than the devil in you. And then I thought, that is the most stupid thing you could have ever said. Now he's going to kill you. So when I said, no, you can't, he said, I said, come out of him in the name of Jesus. And he said, I'm not coming out. I said, yeah, you're coming out now. And he said, no. I said, you're coming out now in the name of Jesus. He said, I'm coming in you. I said, there's not room. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. There's no room. He tried to come out of his chair, and he would push up, then he would fall back. He came up again to attack me, and he fell back in his chair. Then he began to scream, you paralyzed me, you paralyzed me. Now remember, this guy probably ate more for breakfast than I weighed. He could have literally beaten me to the pulp. But I have someone inside me that is bigger than the devil that is inside of him. His name is Rick Harris. He just loved riding his Harley around our city, terrorizing people. I got up and left with him screaming, you paralyzed me, you paralyzed me. A night later, Sunday night, I was preaching, same, same size church as this. He walks down the aisle, and he jumps on the stage. As I see him coming toward me, I think, oh, God, I hope he's delivered. See what a man of faith I am? I hope he's delivered. He jumps on the platform. He said, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Then he said to me, he said, how did you make, because up here, like behind that front beam, we had floodlights illuminating this, the platform. He said, how did you make those lights turn around and face me? I said, what do you mean? He said, those lights right there. He said, while I was sitting back there, he said, those lights turned around and faced me. I said, they didn't turn around and face you. But supernaturally, God said, I'm after you. He bought the largest Bible I've ever known to a human being, would put his wife and his daughter on the back of his Harley, evangelizing our city. And there was something about whenever he would grab you by the collar and say, you want to be saved, don't you? <laughs> that just made you want to be saved. Still to this day, preaching the gospel. I believe God wants to use you to destroy the works of the devil. Anywhere you spot enemy activity, doesn't matter what it is, you spot enemy activity. Because the Bible says he's going to give you the gift of discerning of what spirits you're dealing with so that you can deliver them and set them free. Jesus came to loose all that were oppressed by the devil. 
That's my prayer. I believe we're in the last days and we're believing the revival has started. And that not only has revival started, I want him to use me. I don't want to be left out. Amen? I want him to use me in these last days. I want him to use me. I want to make the devil sorry that he ever knew my name. I want him to get nervous every time I come around. If he chooses fingernails, I want him to chew his fingernails. Jesus, fill me so full of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere I go, every place that I set my feet, Jesus becomes Lord. Jesus becomes Lord. Everywhere I go, Jesus becomes Lord. I think your name is Mark, right? Mark Samuelson, is that your name, Mark? Plays a guitar, yeah. Jesus, I praise you for the anointing of God that's on Mark's life. I praise you, God, as you use him, as you use him to deliver people, set them free, introduce them to the liberator, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you give this congregation an awareness of the anointing that they carry and the authority that they carry. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray the Spirit of the living God fill us so full we can't even contain you. I pray release rivers of Holy Spirit on this church, on this congregation. I pray in this city that the works of the enemy would be put under the feet of the church. And this church will be too small to contain the people. Do you believe that? Say amen. That this church will be too small. The thousands of people will be trying to get in to see Jesus. Just to see Jesus. To be liberated. To be liberated. I've never seen the movie come out in the name of Jesus. But I do know with even not seeing the movie, that in these last days, as Jesus heals people, he will also deliver people by the power of his name. And that name belongs to you. You are his body. Say it out loud, I am his body. <laughs> that means you carry his anointing. <laughs> wow. Oh, Jesus. I used to think, because people would tell me, wow, when you prayed for me, it felt like fire going through me. I thought, wow, I'm really anointed until I found out that God does that through everybody. How many know it's not you? It's the power of the Holy Spirit that sets people free. I love you. Jesus loves you. Thank you for your prayers, for your love. I really cannot thank you enough. Uh, I have a huge hole in my heart. And Jesus is more than enough to fill it. He really, really knows how to take care of his kids. I really love this church. Please know how much I love you. I'm, I'm forever connected to you through your pastor because he'll forever be a son. And I just can't thank you enough for loving us as we love you back in return. Now, I'm a dad. I'm 80 years old um, and a granddad, and a great-granddad, and I hope to be a great-great-granddad one of these years. 
but I, I want to bless you, okay? Can I bless you? Lord, I bless this congregation. I bless their children. I bless their family. I bless their marriage. I bless their kids. I bless the kids that aren't born yet. I bless them with health. I bless them with prosperity. I bless them, Jesus, in every way. They are the head and not the tail. I bless them with an abundance. I bless them with the joy of the Lord. I bless them with love that is uncontainable. Everywhere they go, people will feel the love of God emanating out of them. I bless them with the fullness of God. I bless them as a dad to his kids. I bless them. In the name of Jesus, and if you receive it, you say amen.